When you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into my eternity? I pray this will be your answer. It will be my answer. Because I cling to the cross of Christ. It's because I know what he did for me on that cross. And by grace through faith, I've been forgiven. What does the Bible teach us about complacency? This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Complacency is defined as a feeling of smug or uncritical satisfaction with oneself or one's achievements. But what does the Bible teach us about this? Here's David in the third sermon in his Perils of Being a Treasure Hunter series and a message called Danger of Complacency. Thank you for being here. Great to have you. We are looking at this perils of being a treasure hunter, the dangers of money, what it can do to you. The first week we talked about how to avoid the snare to compare, that if you chase after treasures, you will only have two things happen to you, and both of them are bad. You'll either be prideful, having more than other people, or secondly, you'll be envious and always have that hurt your heart. Uh, Second week, last week, we looked at the close the door to more idea that this incessant desire in our hearts to have more and more and more can kill our souls too. That's another danger and peril of being a treasure hunter. Today, I want to look at this idea of being complacent. Complacent, comparing, coveting, and complacency being something that can kill our heart's desire for living life as God intended. I wish I could tell the guy that wrote that song you just heard about Jesus, for that's where he'll find his life satisfaction and meaning in a relationship with him. But let's look at this third message about complacency and how it can kill our hearts. I want to look at a parable today from Luke the 19th chapter, verses 11 through 27. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him, saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know that they had gained by doing business." The first day before him, saying, Lord, the first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant. Because you have been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here is your mina which I kept laid away in a handkerchief, for I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow? Question mark. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has the ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. 
I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. So before studying the parable, let's look at its context because I've tried to teach you whenever you read the Bible to take a text out of context as pretext. So let's look at the context of this parable. In Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, you had just had the experience of Jesus with Zacchaeus. Now, for those of you who went to Sunday school years ago, you remember the little song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, a wee little man was he. He was also a tax collector, and he would collect from Rome and give to them their taxes, but then he would always increase what was asked of the people so he could pocket illegally a bunch himself. But when he met Jesus... And he had a powerful encounter with Jesus and understood the gospel of grace and how much he was loved and forgiven. He restored to every person he cheated out of taxes four times over. So the money parable, the parable that we just looked at is about money. It's in the context of money, of Zacchaeus restoring to those from whom he'd stolen money. Then you look at the next section of Scripture. It's about Jesus' triumphal entry. In fact, the parable begins. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem. They heard the things about Zacchaeus. And so as he neared Jerusalem, he was entering for the last week of his life on earth. And the triumphal entry is when he went into Jerusalem and people proclaimed, Hosanna, save us, you are the Messiah. It was all about the kingdom of God beginning to be established on this earth. For again, within one week, Jesus would, be die, would die on the cross and be raised from the dead. So the context of this parable is about being saved, generously giving money away, and then using that money for the purpose of advancing the kingdom of God. That's the context of this parable, and it makes sense when you understand that context. So let's look at the parable itself. Let's divide it into three acts, like a three-act play. Here's the first act. The gift, verses 11 through 14. Jesus calls a group of people together before him. He's like a nobleman who went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. That's the whole issue of the incarnation, one of the most important Christian doctrines there is. It's what we celebrate during Christmas time period, that God in the Holy Spirit triangular relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in a perfect love relationship together, sees the brokenness of humanity, our inability to love God because of our sin, our inability to love one another. God the Father asked the Son to put on human flesh, to come from a far country, to leave the splendor of heaven and enter the squalor of this earth for the purpose of saving us from our sins, to forgive us from our sins and reestablish that love relationship with God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and know that beauty of love that the triangular Holy Spirit, Father, and Son experience. And he comes and gathers together before him ten of his servants. And he gave each one of them ten, gave them one mina, Amina is about three months' financial labor. And that's the gift that God gave to them through Jesus. It's the gift that he gives to each one of us. Those ten people represent every human being who's ever lived. And the one Mina given to them are the gifts that God gives to you and me. Every gift is different. It's very unique. 
But God has given one mina to every single one of us. And he tells these people, engage in business until I come. He says, use that mina to engage in business until I return again. So that takes us to the second act, which is the departure in verses 13 and 14. This nobleman, the master who'd given the mina to each one of the ten, goes away for a while. And that's the whole idea of Jesus' death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, but his promised second coming. Jesus could not be clearer as he came once in the incarnation to save us from our sins. He's coming a second time to hold us accountable for our sins, which leads us to the third act, the accountability in verses 15 through 27. Uh, When he returned, having received the kingdom in his second coming, he has made now this earth the kingdom like he originally intended it when creation began. And when he returns, he holds every single one of the 10 people to whom he'd given Amina accountable for how they had used his Mina that he'd given to them. You do understand that every gift you have, you have on loan from God. Everything he's given you is his gift. It's all by his grace. And one day, he's going to come back and hold each person accountable for how we've used his gift that he's given us. The first one comes to him and says, here is your Mina and 10 more. Jesus responds, well done, good servant. Because you've been faithful in a very little, you shall have authority over, interestingly, 10 cities. The implication is that for Jesus' people, when we get to heaven, if we have been faithful with what he's given us here and even expanded it and grown it, we're going to have authority over cities in eternity, that they're going to be dwelling places in eternity, that people who've been faithful here are going to oversee there. Second person comes to him and says, Here's your mina and five more. The master does not give this person a commendation, but he does say to him, you will now be over five cities. So this guy will oversee five cities in all eternity because he's been faithful with the gifts that God has given him here on this side of eternity. Make no mistake about it. What we're doing here now affects our status in eternity. Not our salvation, I'll get to that in a moment, but our status and what we are called to do by God. Then a third one comes to him and lays one mina at his feet. And he says, I know that you are a severe taskmaster, and I was afraid of you. So I took this mina and I hid it in a handkerchief. Maybe he even buried it in the ground. But then he gives him the one mina that he had given to him. Interestingly, The man even says, you take what you did not deposit and you reap what you did not sow. In other words, you're really unfair. You you give us these gifts, but they're really not yours. They're really ours. Then you ask us to be accountable for how we've used really our gifts. And And then the master says, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. You're calling me an austere man, and yet you're not even willing to understand that what I give to you is by grace, and 
You're then asking me to be responsible for how you've wrongly used my possessions that I've loaned you? The word severe here is austeros in the Greek. It's the word from which we get austere. It means exacting, harsh, and unfair. So one of the reasons this master was so angry with his servant was because he's slamming his character. And interpreting the parable from Jesus' perspective, this lazy guy is slamming the character of God. Who would want to worship a harsh, unkind, unfair, demanding God? Some of you have come from toxic Christian environments that have reduced the beautiful, glorious gospel of Jesus Christ into nothing more than rules and regulations. God wants a relationship with you through Jesus. And this man had reduced the almighty God of the universe to a harsh taskmaster. Then, amazingly, at the end of the parable, the master instructs that the one who just took the one mina and didn't do anything with it had to give up his mina and give it to the guy who had ten. And the people listening said, that's not fair. But it is a reality of life, folks. If you don't use it, you lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. It's true with our physical bodies. If you don't exercise them, you lose it. It's true with our minds. If you don't read and study and grow deeper, you lose it. And here's the truth. The one who had one, who didn't do anything with it, who was lazy, had to give up his one and give it to the guy who had worked hard. Which leads me to today's little phrase I want you to take home. Don't shirk hard work. Don't shirk hard work. Then Jesus ends this parable with that powerful verse 27, but as for these enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, who are these enemies? Uh, if you go back to verse 14, there's this one interesting little verse, but his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, we do not want this man to reign over us. In Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin, which was the powerful overseer and purveyor of Jewish law located in Jerusalem, would constantly send out deputations to follow Jesus around. And these men listened intently to try to catch Jesus in something that was wrong or try to entrap him with a question they would ask him so that he would say something that was not right and so they could kill him. But the bottom line is they didn't want Jesus to reign over them. And Jesus says, those people who don't want me to reign over them, they are going to face a severe judgment. He came up with the words, I didn't. Now, for some of you right now, you may be deeply concerned, uh-oh, what's going to happen to me when I face God one day, when I face his judgment, and he holds me accountable for how I've used his mina that he's given me. Let me, first of all, give you the gospel of grace. For the answer to that question is found in what Jesus did for us on the cross. Yes, he left the comforts of heaven and entered the sinfulness and brokenness of this world. He lived the perfect life for 33 years. None of us can live because we have that sinful condition in our hearts. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and God bypassed the way sin is passed on in sexual conception. And he lived that perfect life and went to the cross and died on that cross, something he didn't deserve. 
and took our sins upon himself, something he didn't deserve, than to give us eternal life by grace through faith, something we don't deserve. Now, you need to know that there aren't thousands of world's religions. There are basically two world's religions. You either have a relationship with God by what you do or what's been done for you. Two world's religions, do or done. Or you have a relationship with God by your works or by his grace. Every other world's religion, save one, has what we must do to earn the favor of God and hopefully get to heaven. Look at Islam, Judaism, Buddhism, Zoroasterism, Hinduism, animism, all the other isms. And they're all about what we've got to do to earn God's favor, our works before a holy God. But here's the problem. God is perfect, and no matter how hard we work, we'll never be perfect. So how do we get to heaven? The only religion that does not teach works as a part of salvation is the Christian faith. Juxtaposed to all the other world's religions is the gospel of grace. That God died on that cross and did for us what we can't do for ourselves eternal salvation. And then he gives it to us as a free gift by grace through faith. So if you're worried about that day of judgment that Jesus clearly teaches, when you get to heaven and God asks you, why should I let you into my eternity? I pray this will be your answer. It will be my answer because I cling to the cross of Christ. It's because I know what he did for me on that cross. And by grace through faith, I've been forgiven. And the Father in heaven will say, come on in. That's the truth. So if you're worried about that day of judgment, you receive Jesus today. And you know the gospel of grace. And you never have to worry about facing the Father in heaven. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Coming up, David joins me in the studio with today's Davidism. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Bart, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry, and, and more importantly, about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org 
or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks for being with us today. Yes, Jen, it's great being with you, and I hope you're well today. I am. Thank you very much. Well, in this morning's e-devotion, you wrote about E-G-O. What's wrong with having an ego? (laughs) Well, the problem is that it's too often and probably rightly associated with pride, Mm. and pride is the sin of all sins. Uh, Pride is what caused the devil to be the devil. Uh, Basically, pride is saying, I know better than God, and I can make the rules myself, Mm. and everybody needs to bow down to me. Um, Pride is a twin sister of envy and jealousy, uh, because envy and jealousy cause someone to want to be better than another person. Pride isn't satisfied with being who you are. It's got to be better than somebody else. It's Mm -hmm. always competitive. It's always comparing. And there is the issue of envy and jealousy motivating pride. So ego, E-G-O, probably the best definition of ego I've ever heard is using the acronym E-G-O, edging God out. Mm. Because at the end of the day, that's what pride is. It's saying, I know better. It's the way the enemy, the devil, tempted Eve first in the garden, and then she passed on the fruit to Adam by saying, you shall be as gods. That's what the enemy said to Eve. Uh, Don't let God deceive you. He's trying to keep you from being all that you're supposed to be. God's a celestial killjoy. (laughs) You need to have this fruit, and when you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you get to decide Mm -hmm. what's good and evil. You're in control thereafter. And again, that's the sin that leads to all other sins, E-G-O, edging God out. And interestingly, in Proverbs chapter 16, verse Verse 18 is one of the more famous proverbs that's ever been written by Solomon. It basically says, pride comes before the fall. Mm -hmm. That when we are prideful, we say we know how to run the world. When we do so, we usually run our lives into a ditch, Mm -hmm. and that is the fall that happens that pride leads to. Mm -hmm. So I just think everybody today needs to understand that God wants to have full control of our lives. He Mm -hmm. wants to operate as complete Lord and Savior of our lives. And when we have pride, we invite him off the throne of our hearts. We take that place. We make the decisions regarding good and evil, and we make a mess of things. And Jen, I would even argue that it is not just an individual decision. It's a society issue Mm -hmm. that when society removes God from the central focal point of our society, the society starts to go downhill. It starts to degrade. And, And I believe with all of my heart that we have a culture today that is slowly but surely eliminating God from the central focal point of our lives, Mm -hmm. thinking we know better. And when that happens, of course, the culture goes into degradation Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Something that comes to mind to combat when we have moments of envy and pride, because we each struggle with this at times, is we should build each other up. And I know that this year, that's my word for 2021, is build. And it comes from Ephesians 4.29. Is that right? Yes. uh And just building my kids up, building my husband up. And specifically, if I'm irked with a friend, 
and, you know, in my mind, build them up and see them how God sees them. Right. That's a great insight because the opposite of pride really is humility. Mm -hmm. It's knowing we don't have all the answers. And you're addressing one of the key issues that pride uses wrongly, and that's our tongue. When we think we're great, we'll start destroying people, hurting people, and that's ultimately destructive. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for these insights today, David. And everyone, don't walk in pride. Walk in humility. And if you'd like to receive my daily e-blast, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. They're free of charge every morning in your inbox at 7 a.m. My heart to yours to start your day with a moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. While you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly Hopecast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston asking you to pray for unity in our nation.